excited for I'm I'm Today we're going to be in Nehemiah 2, um, and we're going we're to look at, uh, I, I titled the message characteristics of a godly servant because I believe we can look at Nehemiah 2 and see some of these characteristics and how we, I need to pull an audible. Amanda, I'm sorry, I'm ruining your microphone. All right, let's try this. I probably don't have a whole lot of room to go. Okay, good. I didn't plan for that when I, when I rehearsed this earlier. So, um, so we're going to look at Nehemiah 2, and we're going to look at characteristics of a godly servant. Uh, but, but I'll just give you a quick recap. In Nehemiah 1, uh, we see that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, which is a, which is a highly sought-after position. It's an important position. And his brothers come to him and they give him the news of Jerusalem, that the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed, the temple has been destroyed, uh, and he's distraught. And the first thing he does is he goes to God in prayer. So Nehemiah 1 is his, is his prayer to Nehemiah, and he prays with compassion, and he prays with confidence, and he prays knowing that God's going to do something and asking God to do something. And then... <clears throat> And then we get to Nehemiah 2, and, and like I said, Nehemiah is in a Persian palace. He, he was, when, when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, he was exiled, and he's in Persia, and now he's the cupbearer to the king. And um, he's, he's serving an unbelieving king, and, and King Artaxerxes. But, um, so chapter 2 is, is about to be his big moment. Okay, he's, he's prayed, he's taken time to bathe this in prayer, and it's about to be his big moment, and he's going to go... He's, he's going to ask the king, he's going to have a request for the king, and, and think about your lives, right? Think about a time where you had to go ask something of somebody and how you felt, right? How nervous maybe you got. Hands are sweaty, your voice starts to crack, you're, uh, maybe you're shaking a little bit because you've got to ask somebody something that's, that's a big ask. It, it, it can make you a little nervous, all right? So in Nehemiah 1.11, he identifies himself as a servant. So that's, that's uh, again, that's why I, I, we've, we're, we're gonna, I've entitled this message, Characteristics of a Godly Servant. So the first characteristic we see in Nehemiah 2 um, is that a godly servant waits. Quick poll, quick show of hands. How many of you like to wait? Okay. How many of you hate to wait? How many of you have little patience, Right. Um, I can't lift my hand high enough, okay? Uh, we, there are I, several times in my life that impatience shows, probably notably in traffic, okay? I'm the guy that will go 30 minutes out of the way. Abby can attest to this. I will go 30 minutes out of the way so I can continue driving as opposed to being stuck in a traffic jam. All right, we, there are so many times in our society, so much money and... and um, energy and everything else that is spent on not waiting. So in Nehemiah 2, 1, we read, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never, bef I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So we're in the month of Nisan, all right? And the month of Chislev is, is, was when Nehemiah received the news. So that's, that's in the winter, that's November to December, 
and now we're in the month of Nisan, which is about April. Okay, so about a four-month time frame has elapsed. So every indication tells us that this is the first time we've been in front of the, we, that. This is our first opportunity to be in front of the king after we've spent four months bathing this in prayer. All right, up until this point, the king knows nothing of Nehemiah's sorrow to Jerusalem. All right. Um, he didn't act immediately. We know that he spent. He, we know that by the time frame, he spent time in prayer. He bathed. He bathed this in prayer. Um, it also mentions in in verse one that Nehemiah had never been sad in the king's presence before. All right. It's, it's important to understand that this is a no-no. Being sad in front of the king is grounds for removal from your position. It's grounds for death. And as we as we look at this. Nehemiah is supposed to be on his game. He, he's supposed to have his game face on. He's not supposed to bring personal into business. All right? So, so he's, this was a happy occasion. As we read in Nehemiah 2, this is a banquet. It's a happy occasion. Nehemiah should be anything, anything but sad. All right? And I asked you earlier if, if waiting comes easy for you. And, and we all agree that most of us it does not. But, but as we know, as we read in Galatians, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? It is, patience is something that is a godly characteristic that glorifies God, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. Um, so it, it is something that, um, that, that we need to practice. That's a, that's a hard prayer, because I promise you, church, if you pray for patience, you are going to have ample opportunity to practice that patience. I said that prayer about 10 years ago, and I'm still, uh, I, I'm still getting lessons, I feel like, on a daily basis. So we see that Nehemiah waits, and he's waiting for four months before his opportunity. And I would, I would, I, I would tell you, I would believe that I think Nehemiah is a doer. He, I don't believe he likes to wait either, because we see in chapters 3 and 4 how quickly he moves, all right? But he waited. But the, I think one of the important things that we need to realize is that Nehemiah waited, but he didn't just, he, he wasn't disengaged. He did things while he was waiting. So there's a couple things he did. One, he prayed. We've, we've talked about it. He spent all Nehemiah 1 praying, all right? Um, he, he, he was in this constant state of prayer, and it wasn't just a pray, and okay, God, I prayed to you, where's my answer? He continued to bathe things in that, in that prayer. Um, number two, he planned. Later on, uh, later on in this spoiler alert, uh, we're going to talk about planning later in this message, but he had a plan, all right? He prayed, and he had a plan, and I, I, I believe that in the middle of our prayer, that's, that planning is not an unspiritual thing. All right, God has blessed us with brains for, for a reason. Planning is not unspiritual, uh, but, but he's bathing that in prayer. He's, Nehemiah is, is making his plan. He's deciding what he needs. He hasn't shared this with anybody yet, but he's figuring out what he needs so that when he has his opportunity in front of the king, he can deliver it without, without issue. All right, we see in Proverbs, we read in Proverbs uh, 16.9, the, plans of a, uh, the ma mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16.1 says the, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer is from the tongue of the Lord. So, so, so we plan, he planned during that time. He also served, he didn't, Nehemiah also served, he didn't disengage himself. Excuse me. Hey, Ash, can you bring me that water, buddy? Um, he didn't disengage. He continued doing what he needed to do. And this is important. We, we look at the, this is important. When we're, when we're in the middle of something, 
we can't disengage from those around us. We still have to continue to work. We still have to continue to raise kids or to be a husband or a wife. We still need to be in community when we're going through stuff, right? When we isolate our stuff, that's when, that's when we allow Satan to get that foothold on us, and he, use, he, he doesn't ever let it go. He uses it, and he continues to use it. So while he was, while he was waiting, he prayed, he planned, he served, and prob- arguably, most importantly, he trusted in God's sovereignty, all right? Uh, he, he, and, and this is going to be evident as we go along. Knowing and understanding that God is in control allows us to wait on his timing. Now, I don't say that and tell you that that's easy because it's not. But when we know and we understand that, that, that we serve a, a sovereign God and a God that's in control and he has a plan for us and his timing is perfect, it allows, us to, it, it allows that, uh, t- that waiting time to to pass a little easier, all right? Um, a couple quotes I wanted, uh, a couple things I, I, I found in my studies. Um, R.C. Sproul said that most Christians salute the sovereign God, but believe in the sovereignty of man, all right? Guilty, right? We, 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 we acknowledge that God is sovereign, sometimes by lip service, but we believe in our sovereignty more so than God's, and, and, and when that's the case, we have that backwards. Max Lucado said, I think of trust, I think to trust in the sovereignty of God does not excuse my personal responsibility, just the opposite. It equips me to be personal responsible, personally responsible. So there we have those, those planning and, and waiting going hand in hand. So we see that Nehemiah waits, and he waits for, like I said, he waits for that period of four months. But as we continue to look at Nehemiah 2, we see a second characteristic of a godly servant and that's, that's the characteristic of godly servant praise. And we know this full well. When you read Nehemiah, there's no doubt that he prayed. So verses, we see this in verses 2 through 5, and it says, So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of the heavens, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So we see the king notices right away that Nehemiah is sad. It's almost like Nehemiah walks in, the king sees his countenance and says, dude, what's going on? What's the deal? Why are you sad? You don't look sick, all right? And then at the end of verse 2, at the end of verse 2, Nehemiah's response is, I was terrified, right? He was afraid. He knew what the result of that sadness could be in front of the king. Um, John Wayne had a quote that said, I guarantee none of you came into church today thinking you were going to hear a quote from John Wayne. Guaranteed, all right? Yeah? John Wayne had a quote that said, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyways. Nehemiah is about to saddle up. He's scared, but he knows he serves a sovereign God, and he's about to saddle up and get after it, all right? Again, he, he, we, we, we understand why he was terrified. We, he, he's bringing personal into business. He's going in front of the king. He's going to ask a request soon, um, and, and, he's, and he's, he's sad, and he understands that he could lose his life for all these things, but he also understands that God has prepared him for this moment 
And he, again, you're going to hear me say this a lot. He trusts in that sovereign, the sovereignty of God. So in verse 3, Nehemiah displays his loyalty to the king. He says, long live the king. And then he gets down to a personal level and says, I'm sad because the area of the graves of my ancestors is destroyed. And I, I believe he gets to the king on a personal level, and I believe that interaction in verse 3 shows us God's grace, when we, how we see God's grace in our moment of need. Again, folks, God's timing is impeccable. He knows what we need when we need it. He's never too early, and he's never too late. He might be according to the will of Adam, but according to God's will, he is never too early, and he's never too late. So Nehemiah says, he, he tells him what his issue is, and the king's first response in verse 4 is, what are you requesting? It's not leave. It's not off with you. What are you requesting? And then I, I love Nehemiah's first instinct. Nehemiah didn't just rattle off his list at that point. Nehemiah's first instinct, the first thing he did in verse 4, it says, then I prayed. And, and, and again, we see that continued prayer throughout these first couple chapters of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a very good understanding that while he works for a lowercase king, he serves the uppercase king. And he understands that, again, he understands that sovereignty of God, and he understands the king that he worships, that God has a plan for him and is going to provide for him. So Nehemiah shows us a lot about prayer in these verses, and I'm going to just go through, go through uh, some things quickly. He shows us the necessity of prayer, because he doesn't, this isn't something he goes to after he tries everything else. He goes to it instantly. It's his first instinct to go to prayer. It's not, let me try to fix all these things, fail. Let me try to fix them in a different way, fail. Oh, maybe I should now go to prayer. No, he goes to prayer right away, okay? He shows us the practice of unceasing prayer. Again, it's not a one and done. It is a continued bathing this, his heartache, his plan in prayer. He shows us the intimacy of prayer. He prays to the God of heaven, but it's not a distant God. He has a relationship. We, we know that. We see that in, 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 how he, in how he prays. And he prays with the confidence. And, and again, we see that in Nehemiah 1. Um, but, but he realizes, I believe Nehemiah realizes again that since he's praying to the God of heavens, he has no, he has no reason to fear an earthly king. Again, because he knows God's going to take care of him. All right? One thing that we have to remember as believers is that prayer is one of the greatest privileges we have. It's one of the greatest weapons in our arsenal. But again, and, I, and I, I'm pointing at myself first when I say this, how many times is it the last thing that we go to? It's our, it's our greatest weapon. It is the nuke, right? Like, it, is our, it should be our first resort, but it's the last thing we go to. So we see that Nehemiah waits, and we see that Nehemiah prays. The third characteristic of a godly servant that we see in Nehemiah 2 is that a godly servant plans. All right? this, is when, this is when it is evident, I believe, in these th four or five verses that Nehemiah had, he, he, was, he took that four months to think and to pray, but also to plan. All right? So in verse 5, I'm going to read verse 5 through 8. It says, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? 
After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors, the province of, uh, of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and for the house uh, and for the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. <laughs> Amen, right? So he didn't just ask to go. Like, it's, uh, it, it's, he, he asked to go at first, and then he was prepared to ask for more. He knew he, need, would, need pa he, knew he would need letters for, passage, for safe passage. We need documents to travel, right? Most of us probably have an ID, a passport, a visa. So he knew he was going to need that. Then he knew he was going to need supplies. And he asked for those supplies from the king's personal supply. Asaph is the, is the manager of the king's forest. So he just, again, Nehemiah had this planned out, right? Prayer and plan, prayer should lead to planning. These two things do go hand in hand, but it's a it is a, we have to make sure that when we are praying that it's very easy to then manipulate things under the guise of this is God's will, but in reality, we're manipulating our plans and not letting God use us, right? So, anybody in here a planner? I'm a planner. You got your post-it notes, you got your calendars, your charts, your any number of things, your dry, whatever, right? They're like a security blanket to us. They're like a stuffed animal, Right? Um, how often, though, do we say we want to do this or we want to do that? I want to lose weight. I want to get out of debt. I want, find, you know, I want, I want this job. I want to go to college. I want to do that. And then somebody goes, "Well, yeah. What's your plan?" Uh, I don't know, right? We have, we, we, you have plans when you do those things. We start. I started a uh, Biggest Loser with our family this week to see who could lose the most weight. You guys know I'm competitive. I'm going to win. So, but we're just going to. We're just going to go through the competition anyways, but we started that this week, right? I couldn't just wake up on Monday morning without a plan of how I was going to do that. A builder doesn't start building a house without looking at what first? The plans, the blueprint, all right? If he does, he's going to have a lot more work for himself because he didn't look at the plans. There's a plan in place, all right? As soon as that, and I, I think another thing that's really interesting too is that there's no there's no um, appearance that Nehemiah struggled or hesitated to ask. Right, send me to Judah, to the city to, to of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He, pro I think, this cord is going to. Okay, he, I, I, I really believe that Nehemiah knew, again, in God's sovereignty, that this was his shot. This was his big moment. He wasn't going to have a second chance. So he was prepared for that, right? He already had the answers to the questions. I can tell you that as a principal and a director and an assistant principal, I appreciate when my staff that want something come to me with the answers to my questions because I'm going to ask them, what happens here? How are you going to use it? How much does it cost? How, many, how does it affect people? I have all these questions, and I love it when they come to me and they have all the questions and then some answered because it tells me that they've researched this, they've planned, they know what they are going to do. It is important, too, that we understand that just because we plan, it may not end up how we plan. God may redirect our plans 
uh, in the middle, right? We see that in Proverbs 16.9 again. We looked at this earlier. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we can't get deterred. We can't get, uh, and, and this is easier said than done, uh, discouraged. Just understand that, yes, we may plan, but God may alter those as we walk, as we walk with him. Within Nehemiah's plans, he had several things. He had a purpose. He wanted to go rebuild the wall. He had a timetable. The king asked him how long he was going to be gone. He said, I'm going to be gone this long. And the king said, okay. Now, and when you read in Nehemiah, later on in Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah was uh, the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years. But I, that, that doesn't come up in Nehemiah 2. All indications would lead to believe he rebuilt the walls, returned to the king, and that, was, that plan was changed along the way. Uh, to where he was he went back to Jerusalem all right I have a hard time believing could you imagine asking your boss for 12 years off how long are you gonna be gone 12 years and I expect my job with uh, with cost of living increase and pay raises when I get back right so um, so I think that I, I uh, that that changed along the way um, again Nehemiah had his plan he had his calendar he needed his paperwork right especially because King Artaxerxes had already shut down one rebuilding of the temple. In Ezra, you can read that he shut one down. So, so Nehemiah needed his paperwork. He needed safe passage. He needed to ensure that, that he could get there. He had needs. Again, he, he, he knew he needed lumber. He knew he needed a house, so he asked for that. Here's what Nehemiah does, and this is awesome. Nehemiah prays for God to change the heart of King Artaxerxes. In the process... He gets all his ducks in a row. He crosses his T's, he dots his I's, so that when the heart of the king does change, he's ready to ask for, he's ready to get his request out. Um, I think I have another, there's a Tony Evans quote, and I think I put this in here. Yeah, there it is. This is from the Tony Evans commentary, and it says, The king granted Nehemiah's request because the gracious hand of God was upon him. So if you find success, is it because you came up with a good plan? No. Is it because you're a brilliant individual, a smooth politician, or a great businessman? No. It does not matter what you plan if God's hand is not on you. People and families are falling apart because they won't let God's hand operate on their behalf. Plans are made by man, but only God gives the increase. So while Nehemiah asked for a letter and wood, God also gave him infantry and cavalry. You can know that God is in a thing, in fact, when you ask for A, but he also gives you B and C. God likes to outdo the request, right? Amen. God, he, he does. And I truly believe that. You know God's in it when you, when you ask for the A, and sometimes you get B through Z if God's in it, right? So as we continue to look at Nehemiah, we see that fourth characteristic, and that fourth characteristic is that a godly servant leads, all right, a godly servant leads. And there's a bunch of different aspects of this that I want to look at uh, quickly or look at this morning. So um, this is verses 9 through 18. And, and we see that um, Nehemiah, so after, after he was granted permission, he leaves. And again, this is not some overnight journey. This isn't us going from Woodhull to Galesburg, all right? This is Persia to Jerusalem. It's about a four-month journey, and it's through desert. It's through, it's through changes in elevation. Um, so it's, it's not just an easy 20-minute trip. So he arrives in Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he rests because he knows that you can't lead effectively if you're tired or if you're wiped out 
because there may be anxiety. There may, you, you can't think straight, all right? It's hard to lead people. It's hard to fill people's buckets, as my kids say, when your bucket is empty, all right? So he, he filled his physical bucket. And then he went out, and he, he, saw the, he saw Jerusalem for himself, all right? One of the things we have to understand in a, in, in, in a position of leadership is that we're going to face opposition, this may be new to some of you, but you cannot please everybody, all right? It's not going to happen. I had to learn that the hard way one time when I got into a leadership position. But rest assured, whenever we're going to do something right, the enemy is going to show up, and he's going to be ruthless. So we see these three um, men in Nehemiah chapter 2. Sambalai is the governor of Syria to the north. Tobiah is ruled the uh, Ammonites to the east. And Geshem, who we see in, in verse 19, was a leader of the Arabs to the south. And guess what? None of them liked Nehemiah's plan. They thought he was rebelling against the king. It was ruining their political stance. And arguably, more importantly, it was going to ruin their financial standing because the tr trade was now going to run through Jerusalem if that was rebuilt. You don't mess with people's money, right? People get pretty upset if you mess with their money. So they were, those three uh, were very opposed to this, all right? And, and not only that, this is not a one-and-done occurrence. This is constant. They, they receive this constantly. So, um, so leaders face opposition. Leaders do good research, right? Nehemiah went out at night, and he looked at, all, he looked at several different gates. He looked at several different parts of the wall to be able to develop his plan, all right? He also, one of the things he did, too, was that he didn't tell a whole lot of people what his plan was. He went at night so that people, so that under the under the cover of darkness, so that he wasn't seen. He didn't share things with people until with the people he was going to do it with until he was a hundred percent ready to do so. All right. He looked at the valley gate. He looked at the spring gate, the dung gate, the walls of Jerusalem, the fountain gate. It talks about all of that uh, in verses fourteen and fifteen. All right. And then he comes back once he has, you know, he's already got a plan of what he wants to do, and then he sees it for himself. It's just like anything else. We can hear about things, but when we see things for ourselves, it sheds a whole new light on things, right? So he then motivates his team. Leaders motivate their team, and he gets this buy-in from people, and they sh he shares his burden and his mission with them. And it's really, it is really um, interesting. It's really cool how quickly he was able to gather that group of people, right? And we know that it wasn't a coincidence. We know that it didn't just happen. Even though a lot of people would lead us to believe that, it was as a result of the sovereignty of God. I can tell you, you know, being in, in working in, the, in, the, uh, in a school district and just in a secular world, we need, to have pe we need to have a team around us. We need to have like believers. Devon and I work in the same place. It is a joy, it's a blessing when I walk through the hall and I see Devon in the hall because I know we're both believers. And I know he's going to encourage me and I'm going to do the do the opposite. We work with other believers, and it's good to see them. We have to be, we're surrounded by that here, but we need that as we, as we walk uh, through, our, through our lives outside of here as well. We need a team. So a godly servant leads. Finally, the last thing we see in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2 is that the, the fifth characteristic of a godly servant is that a godly servant trusts, right? A godly servant trusts. So in 19 and 20, it says, But when Sambalai, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they ask? 
But I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed with his servants. Uh, we, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, no legal right or historic claim to Jerusalem. Again, I told you the mockery continues, right? They, they continue to mock and question. Now they're questioning if he's rebelling against the king. They're questioning why, he should, why he's even doing it um, and, and just continually doing so. But the, the interesting thing is, the thing I like about this is that Nehemiah doesn't stoop to their level. He's not in the weeds with them, right? He doesn't, he doesn't fight fire with fire. He has, he has his eyes set on his goal. His goal is to rebuild Jerusalem. And he doesn't let this get him off track, all right? Oftentimes, we let this stuff, we let the noise get us off track of what we are, what we are doing. And we know, if just from the word of God, that we're going to be persecuted. And, we, you know, we, you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We know that we're going to have noise. Anytime we're doing something that's going to glorify God, that's going to do kingdom work, we're going to have a lot of people that don't want it to happen, that want us to fail. And we can't let that get in our way. All right, he stays, Nehemiah stays focused on that task because he knows that the God of heaven will help the sovereign Lord and God of heaven is going to help or going to make him prosper. So when we look at Nehemiah 2, um, it, may, it, may, it might remind you of another patient, trusting, prayer-working individual who set forth in Jerusalem some 400 years later, right? might remind you of Jesus Christ. He would, like, like Nehemiah, he was sensitive to the sufferings of his people. He left a palace, he got on an animal, and he rode into Jerusalem. The hand of God was on him in unique ways. He faced mockery, criticism, questioning, persecution that ultimately led to his death on the cross. But praise God, death didn't hold him. All right? God would raise his son from the dead as the Lord Jesus Christ as a, as a way for our salvation. So through Christ, we can experience the gracious hand of God and know the comfort of the Lord, and we can be part of the body of Christ. So... I would encourage you this morning, if what I just said ab uh, about Jesus is not, if, if that's foreign to you, if you don't know this Jesus that I just talked about, don't walk out that door before you have a conversation with somebody, all right? Whether it's me, one of our elders, whoever, all right? If, if, if you question, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, please, please do not hear, leave here today without asking questions about that, all right? Amen? All right, let's pray real quick. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we see in Nehemiah, for um, just the characteristics of leader of a, of a godly servant that he shows. Thank you for um, your sovereignty and your plan that is, that is, that is evident in, his, uh, in Nehemiah 2. And as he continues uh throughout the book and rebuilding the walls of jerusalem lord i thank you for this time and 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 just the opportunity again to be in your house and uh lord we just ask all this in christ's name amen